0: Hello, you are listening to This Week in 1916 with Ray McGovern, following the rising as it happened, day by day. Sunday, 30th of April, 1916. 7.30 hours need most local youngsters help themselves to firewood in the rubble. Captain Michael Rathaly's burnt-out de Dion bouton touring car in North Princess Street. 732. Are these British officers celebrating premature? The cracks of small arms in the city's background suggest the fighting isn't done yet. These four Republican garrisons are holding out on the south side of the city. 736. A solitary rebel officer is taken across O'Connell Bridge under guard. Irish volunteers, 3rd Battalion, still controls southeast Dublin. To venture beyond the barricade and set Great Brunswick Street still to invite a bullet. 7.40 civilians have been flocking in their droves to view the dev- devastation since first light this morning, 9 a.m. Dublin Castle 2 Capuchin priests have requested permission from General Lowe to see Padre Pierce so that they can convey a signed surrender order to the volunteers still fighting on North Brunswick Street. General Lowe granted permission before requesting that the priests proceed to Jacobs to inform the garrisons of surrender. The General has been unable to make any contact with that garrison. Rebels in North Brunswick Street surrender. It has transpired that another priest has managed to convey a genuine surrender order to the volunteers there. One volunteer named Patrick Hollatham has taken command of the units. Their commanding officer has been shot in the head during the fighting. Hollatham has ordered the volunteers to fall in. He has just addressed his exhausted men with the words, I know you would like myself prepared to be with our comrades who have already fallen in the fight. We too should rather die in this glorious struggle than submit to the enemy. The treatment you may expect in the future may you may judge from the past. Fifty of them march eastwards along North King Street. The road is lined with the battalion they kept at bay. Soldiers are craning their necks from doors and windows to see who caused them such horrific carnage. Several tones are being exchanged. 10.15 Nurse O'Farrell approached Bolan's bakery from 15 minutes ago with Pierce's surrender order. She was met just outside its dispensary by commanding Devil Air. He emerged outside with a towel around his neck, appearing to have been washing. After studying the order, he has dispatched to with instructions that the order carries no weight. With Pierce a prisoner, he is now under the command of commanding. McDonough who is still in the field and holding firm. Eleven o'clock. Two Capuchin priests have approached Jacob's factory with news of the surrender. The news has been dismissed by, by Commander McDonough, stating that he cannot take orders from prisoners. He has conceded however, that he is prepared to meet with General Lowe to parley. 1110. Nor so far has been granted access by Countess Markiewicz at the College of Surgeons. Commanded Mallon, its garrison commander, is resting in one of the back rooms and is being summoned. There is an overwhelming aura of subdued shock among the Citizen Army garrison as the news spread. 11.55. Irish Citizen Army surrenders. The surrender of the Stevens Green Garrison of the Irish Citizen Army has been agreed upon. Minutes ago, Commander Mallon Countess Markibus held talks at the College of Surgeons York Street entrance. Major D'Cursey Wheeler of the Dublin Fusiliers. He is accompanied by Nurse O'Farrell. This came after many heat deliberation from those inside the fortress who seemed adamant to fighting on or breaking out to the mountains, They are defiant. 1245 surrender of volunteers, 2nd Battalion agreed upon command General McDonough and General Lowe have met in St. Patrick's Park. The parley began on the footpath before both retired to General Lowe's staff car to continue negotiations. After a while McDonough McDonagh stepped out of the car and informed the two priests of his intention to surrender, adding that there would be a truce until 3 p.m., 1 p.m. Commander McDonough has now informed the officers of the 2nd Battalion of the Surrender. It was followed by stunned silence, the men have called the ground floor to be told of the news. Shouts of screams following, fight it out, we will fight it out. Order was restored, and McDonough has since told the garrison that anyone without uniform has his permission to escape. Some are availing of the opportunity. McDonough will leave Jacobs and go to the South Dublin Union to convey the news. Fourteen hundred hours. Emotionally exhausted and emotionally drained, Elizabeth O'Farrell has just returned to Bowlin's Bakery with Commander McDonough's verification of the surrender. For the third battalion, the fighting is over. De Valera has just dispatched recently promoted commandant Joe O'Connor to the nearby outlook post with the news. He's been met with a gas face as anger is building quickly. Some of the men have begun smashing their weapons off the ground. Ironically, snipers are still at work in the area. Occasionally, shots ring out. The rooftops of Lower Mound Street are infested with snipers. Word has been received at the nearby mills building. Lieutenant O'Byrne has ordered to rally his men at the baking 1500 hours 3 pm commanded General McDonough has returned to st Patrick's Park where general Lowe was waiting for him the two soldiers stood face to face McDonough then unbuckled his belt and holster handed them to general Lowe along with his revolver general Lowe accepted them and asked McDonough to return to his men and arrange for the surrender of Jacobs McDonough accepted the generals request 40 50 hours commandant mallons garrison is marching into capt activity along New York Street, and a short time ago, roughly 120 citizen army members put down their arms and began their march. As they set off, however, shots rang out from the green, some refused to give in. Their captors are displaying different attitudes as they march. Some of the rebels have been threatened with bayonets, others have been told to cheer up, and have been offered cigarettes. Commandant Command appeared to take some comfort from the words of the British army officer when he expressed his belief that the garrison had held him off with so few men. Now, however, he marches to an uncertain fate, albeit proudly. 1530, Jacob's garrison is marching into custody of the enemy. 1540, intense deliberations dil- are underway at South Dublin Union. The garrison has received the surrender order. looks like camp's men will comply. They are disconsolate and are not able to believe the news. 16.30, the battle-weary GPO and four-courts garrison are exiting the rotunda grounds en route to Richmond Barracks and in inchi Corps. The city is in shock. Thousands of Dublins are in the street. Reaction to the events is one of disbelief mixed with anger. Abuse is being heaped on the exhausted and starving marching men. But there are whispers also of subdued admiration. 7.27 hours, the 4th Battalion has formed up to exit Do- South Dublin Union, their arms are shouldered, commanding Kant has delivered them a rousing speech, their heads are held high as they prepare to march to Marabone Lane to link up with Captain Colbert and the remainder of the battalion. 1740, Commander McLaughlin is marching with his men into captivity in Richmond Barracks and Inchicore under a cordon, whose bayonets stand at the ready. They are filthy, disheveled, exhausted, starving, and but yet many are singing. 1756, Roughly 150 Irish volunteers from 4th Battalion have just entered the gates into St Patrick's Park. They have been spat at, jeered and praised while many on their route stared blankly, no doubt tremendously relieved but shocked at what has come to pass on their streets. 1803, incredible scenes as 3rd Battalion marches towards surrender. As Vice Commandant O'Connor led the 3rd Battalion from Boland's Bakery, they were met by a cordon of infantrymen who looked like they were baying for blood. But as soon as the 80 men or so turned on the Grand Canal Street, a crowd of locals beget, began cheering and applauding the rebels. Their heads lifted as weeping onwards offered to hide their weapons. They are now turning left on Grattan Street, where they have been ordered to muster. 1820 all has changed changed utterly it has been a week since the clock struck in dublin but the third battalion has laid down its arms in Gratton Street. it has done the fighting men of both sides are done but count themselves lucky hundreds have fallen this week never to rise again the city is shattered time will tell how it recovers it is inevitably will dubliners are a stoic lot but now it is the time to count the cost in lives and homes and businesses and in hearts. At the top of the street stands Commander De Valera, the battalion commander. He has just been saluted by his vice commandant. The men are lined up. As the last of their unloaded weapons clatters off the pavement, O'Connor has just placed a sword at the top. The sword has been given him as a mark of his men's respect on Good Friday. He has placed it here, no doubt as a mark of respect for them. These men will march to an uncertain future as does the land they try to make a republic. How the drama plays out from here is likely to be much more of the same. Now, this is Ray McGovern signing off for uh, the month of April. Uh, Don't forget, uh, next month we'll have another series of talks for you, a similar time a month. We uh, want to continue on that theme uh, of 1916 and we'll uh, deal with trials that took place in may and june concerning the uh, leaders of the rising uh, bowen coldhurst for his uh, murder of six civilians casement for his high treason case in the high court in london and the statement of hannah she skeffington read to the house of commons in early may of uh, 1916 as well so looking forward to seeing you all then, and uh, History on Bluebell Radio.